My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Old Mason Cook, he's been living in that second-floor apartment on Cedar Street for near three decades, moved in as a young man of 56 after a fire ripped through his little clapboard house back in 92. When he took up residence in that converted attic, he figured he'd be there the better part of a year while he got his home rebuilt. Of course, that's when he discovered his insurance had lapsed, so he sold off the land and stayed put on cedar. Besides, the place was comfortable enough. To reach his door, he climbs an outside set of wooden steps in the back, and the place is no palace, but it's all right for a bachelor with minimal needs. Naturally, having been so long in residence now, he's seen plenty of folks come and go. There were the Morgans, Alan and Pam, who met when he nearly lost a finger in a plastic molding machine. See, she was the technician who x-rayed the digit over at Methodist Hospital, and I can just imagine that conversation. She says, Sir, you're badly mangled and at risk of amputation, and he replies, "Uh Uh-huh, are you doing anything Saturday? And after they moved out, there were the Calhouns, Roger and Aileen. He was a mechanic here in town over at Wright's Wright Friendly Garage while she worked the cash register part-time at Clemmer's Value Food. But money was tight, so she took a second job as a dog groomer over in Zare County. Well, due to a series of misadventures, she ended up bringing home a 200-pound English Mastiff. But Roger, he didn't cotton to that, no sir. He said she could either live with a two-legged companion or a four-legged one. Probably not the wisest move on his part, because... He ended up sleeping on a couch in Senatobia while the dog occupied his half of the bed in Trouveau. Last I heard, Aileen was in Arkansas, working at Hot Springs National Park. That way the dog has a place to roam. Next came the Delmars, not a couple, but two sisters, Frances and Rhonda Lee. They seemed to have a dozen boyfriends between them, not one of whom owned a button-down shirt, or so it appeared. Finally, the girls narrowed their prospects to two and got married in a double ceremony. Maybe the ten fellows who lost out served as ushers, I don't know. Anyway, that's just a few who stayed a bit and then went on with their lives, while Mason, well, he aged into the old man of the house. It's historian, so to speak, who could tell you of every wedding, breakup, or fight that occurred over the years. He was also in charge of the trash cans. Now, not that he'd been appointed to the position, but when the Sullivans were there about 15 years ago, well, let's just say they were ambivalent about garbage day. Thus it fell to Mason to roll the 50-gallon container down to the curb for Wednesday pickup, and he'd set the equally large recycling bin out every two weeks because that truck came by only twice monthly. Even after the Sullivans moved out, he continued to take out the garbage, just him and him alone. I guess he assumed by then that if he didn't do it, nobody would, and the house would soon be neck deep in refuse. Besides, he he knew the right way to set those cans, being well aware that the recycling container should never go directly next to the non-recycling bin. 
See, when the garbage truck drives up, the operator uses this amazing robotic claw that extends from the side of the vehicle, grabs hold of the can, and dumps its contents in the back. So impressive did Mason find this mechanical ballet, he'd sometimes hurry to the window when he heard the truck outside, just to marvel at the driver's faultless aim and the claw's effortless hoisting of a week's worth of rubbish. Still, he reasoned, even technology has its limits, for logically, if the cans were too close together, mightn't the claw be unable to snag one without knocking over the other? Better to place one can to the left of that sawed-off dogwood stump by the curb and the other to its right, with plenty of space between them. Seems he wasn't wrong either, for Mason, in all the years he'd been responsible for the trash, had never once seen a can tipped over. Such was his thinking then when the latest tenants arrived. They were another young couple, he 22 and she 21, with neither having lived away from home before. Mason welcomed them as they unloaded their 10-foot U-Haul. He figured it was the least he could do in his capacity as senior occupant, even though there really is no such title. The boy, he was Jackson, and the girl was Tori, the kind of trendy names that Mason figured were more fit for toddlers. It's cute when they're three, he thought, but when they grow up, they're stuck with them. Anyway, as they stood round in the back parking lot, he learned a little about these new neighbors, their ambitions and dreams. Jackson just got certified in HVAC, says Tori. That's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. It sounds like they're direct opposites, heating and air conditioning, says Jackson, but there's a surprising amount of overlap. That's one of the things you learn when you're certified. And Tori, it turned out, was just finishing up at Heinz Community College. I'm near to getting my associate degree, accounting degree, says she. Then I'll open up my own HVAC company, says Jackson, and Tori can do the books. Well, says Mason, sounds like you've got it all planned out. But busy as you are, I hope you had time for a honeymoon. At this, he noticed a slight blush in Tori's cheeks. Oh, says Jackson, that'd only be if we were married. I see, says Jackson, only if you were... What? You're not wed? No, not actually, says Jackson. It's a big step. So's the trip to hell, thought Mason. A big step downward. But he kept quiet on that score, despite being an upright member of First Baptist, one who not only faithfully attended service, but enthusiastically participated in the weekly Bible study. Yeah, he kept quiet and returned to his apartment, but not before resolving to shun these two sinners. The floor beneath his feet, the young couple's ceiling, might be only a foot thick, but the distance between Mason and his new neighbors could just as well have spanned the earth for all of him. Now, in a modern world where folks routinely cohabit without the benefit of matrimony, I, I say routinely now, you might accuse him of being out of step with the times. I don't mind you, for I can guarantee that male and female would share no room at Gray Farm absent the presence of a wedding band. But some of you out there might not view things the way Mason, and yours truly, see them. However, as it turned out over the next week, this was not the only provocation from this young pair. No, sir. You see, Mason always parked his car, currently a 2010 Chevrolet Avio, in the southeast corner of the back lot. Why? For the same reason, I suppose, that some folks prefer one side of the bed to the other. It just felt right, that's all. So 
for 28 years, day in and day out, that's where you'd find his automobile when he was home. Southeast corner, no exceptions. Well, guess what? The Sunday after the youngins moved in, Mason arrived home from church to find that, lo and behold, their 2013 Ford Focus was occupying his spot. I mean, granted, there was no sign there with his name on it, but when a man stakes a claim, it should be respected. So Mason, he sat in his car, just staring at the Ford, wishing it someplace else. But of course, with no telekinetic powers to speak of, he wasn't sending that vehicle anywhere. Consequently, he was left with no choice but to park in the northeast corner, foreign soil, so to speak. Now, this might seem like a small thing to you, but for Mason, it threw his entire day off kilter. He was so distracted by the change, he failed to notice a nail sticking out of the railing as he climbed his steps. The upshot is he caught his suit jacket on it and tore the pocket, which caused his keys to fall out. Well, they dropped twixt the steps, so he had to get on his knees and stick his arm in way under those steps to fish him out. That's when something, probably a slumbering raccoon, bit him on the forearm right through his sleeve. Now Mason, who let out quite a yell, he managed to pull his arm out with the keys in hand, but not before leaving that jacket sleeve in the raccoon's mouth. And things didn't get any better from there, because he and his mutilated jacket had to drive all the way to that Zare Methodist hospital I mentioned. He ended up sitting in the emergency room for two full hours before they could patch him up and give him a rabies shot. And by the time he got home and turned on the television, he discovered that the broadcast of the Mid-South Classic was over. So it was that thanks to the indiscriminate parking practices of those neophyte renters, his Sunday routine had been tossed into a cocked hat. But Mason, despite this earthquake, resolved to stay quiet on the subject. After all, he was all about shunning these folks and trusted that the Lord himself would sort out their missteps, connubial and otherwise. Things were even looking up a little bit on Tuesday night. See, that's when he got back into the swing of his routine by taking the two cans, trash and recycling, down to the curb. There he carefully spaced them as always, one on either side of the stump, and that's when he thought to himself, by obeying the traditions of the house, we establish order in our lives. Then, as was his wont before bed, he sat down to watch a rerun of a television program entitled Murder, She Wrote. Apparently, the show involves a woman of a certain age who lives in a dystopian world of ceaseless homicide. It was only after brushing his teeth two minutes before bedtime that he happened to glance out his front window and see, oh goodness, the cans. The recycling bin was sitting right next to the garbage container. In fact, they were almost touching, separated by a divide too narrow for the mechanical claw to negotiate. Mason felt a bit dizzy, for this seemed a veritable act of vandalism, and he didn't need the murder she wrote lady to figure out who was responsible. No, indeed. The answer was right beneath his feet. Seething, Masons crawled into bed, determined to get up extra early in the morning and move those cans back to their proper positions. But as he lay under the covers, sleep did not come. No, instead he tossed and turned into the wee hours, tallying the transgressions of Jackson and Tory. Premarital relations, commandeering of a parking space, and now interference with the collection of refuse, not to mention the torn jacket, rabies shot, and missed golf show. 
but he was shunning the pair and vowed to make no remark, for my silence shall cut deeper than my words, thought he, and he remained quiet, or at least that is until about three in the morning, when his pressure cooker brain, steaming with incessant rumination, exploded. He swore and said aloud, I'll have it out with them, and I'll have it out with them right now. With that, Mason donned slippers and robe and marched straight downstairs, circling to the front of the house and banging wildly on the door with his fist. A muffled coming sounded from inside, and a moment later Jackson, eyes bleary, hair disheveled, wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt, opened the door. Oh, says the boy, Mr. Cook, is there something? But before he could finish his sentence, Mason lit into him. I've been living here since before you were born, shouts he, and when I place the garbage cans just so, you leave the garbage cans just so, you understand? Uh, what, says Jackson? Who is it, says a voice behind him, and Tory appeared, barefoot in a flannel nightgown. It's Mr. Cook, says Jackson, and he seems upset. Darn right, says Mason, parking and rabies and now the cans and I can't even watch golf. Okay, says a confused Jackson. Anyway, it's kind of late, so but Tory interrupted him and said, Would you like to come in? I think not, says Mason. Are you sure, says the girl, I can make some tea? At which moment Mason realized, well, the night was a bit chill, and yes, he would like a cup of tea. Despite, thus, despite his reluctance, he entered the den of unwedded bliss and indifferent parking, thinking Jesus might not mind if he were to have but a sip to warm himself and then exit post-haste. So he sat at the linoleum kitchen table on a padded aluminum chair while Tory set about boiling water on the stove. The table, said Jackson, was a present from Tory's parents. So they've forgiven you, says Mason, for defiling their daughter? I guess so, says the boy. They gave us end tables, too. All right, says Mason, but the trash cans. Oh, I moved those, says Tory. You know, as part of the feng shui. The, the what, says Mason? The feng shui, says Tory, arranging one's household for harmony and balance. I sensed that if the garbage cans were side by side, they'd give off positive energy. You say what, says the old man? It's like HVAC, says Jackson. You've got your heat exchanger, your blower motor, your condenser, all that. But you can't just stick them together willy-nilly, see? Each has its proper place in the system, or you'll be cold in the winter and hot in the summer. Oh, said Mason, as Tory placed a steaming cup in front of him. Harmony and order. Now, now that's the very thing I'm talking about. We're all for it, says Tory. And the three of them spent the next hour discussing the essential nature of predictable routine as it applies to mind and body. Mason eventually asked if reclaiming his space in the southeast corner of the parking lot would interfere with all that business the girl was talking about. He, he couldn't remember the term feng shui. In fact, I can't recall how I know it. Anyway, the couple said no, they'd be happy to vacate the spot for the northeast corner, which mollified our 84-year-old hero. Finally, as Mason got up to leave, Tori says, next Sunday afternoon, we're going to the farmer's market in Crowder. If you'd like to come, we'd be pleased to have you. Well, says Mason, I, I always sit and watch golf after church. Then he paused and said, but that might be fun. I'll put it on my schedule. Then he went upstairs to bed. 
So it looks like Mason will not be sticking to his guns and shunning his downstairs neighbors, though he'll not give up hoping that they will one day eschew sinful cohabitation for holy wedlock. Oh, and the garbage truck did end up knocking over the recycling bin. Those cans should not have been so close together. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>